Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. As you're turning there, um, this past week, um, how many of you own Mac computers versus own PCs? I just want to know what kind of division there is in this church. Um, for all you Mac owners, <laughs> this past week, Mac came out with a big um, operating system update to all their computers. So uh, on Friday, I upgraded my computer in the office. We have some Mac, some PC people here. Um, we have a server that is a PC-oriented. Brad Crawford keeps us up and running, um, but he has to navigate those of us in the office who use Macs and connect to the server and those who use PCs and connect to the server. For those of you, if I'm speaking in tongues, just hang with me for just a minute, and uh, I'll get to the point. I upgraded my uh, system, and so then I had to upgrade the balcony system so that they could all talk to each other and everything would work. Um, The problem we had was that we came in this morning, and there were certain programs that are essential to who we are that suddenly didn't want to work anymore because they didn't understand the new operating system, and so we had to do a couple of things different, like poor Ansley had to enter all the words to the song to, um, for this morning in a different program so we could make it work. Sometimes when something new comes out, something old then doesn't work right anymore. When new ushers in, some things become obsolete. Some, some things become dated. Some things become out of date and don't need to function anymore. This morning, uh, the author of Hebrews is going to lead us through a discussion, and he really is going to make it clear, here's the point of what I've been trying to say. So for seven chapters, (laughs) he's been leading us in this incremental growth about how great Jesus is, how wonderful Jesus is. Now remember, he has been writing to a group of people who were Jewish, but are now followers of Jesus Christ. And in that, he wants to make it clear to them, because they've been, they've been worshiping Jesus, but they're finding their Christian life really hard. They're under persecution. They're undergoing different, difficult times. So some of them are thinking about going back to Judaism. Some of them are thinking about abandoning Christianity and going back. And, and he, from the outset, makes it clear that in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the world. He's going to make it clear, you're going to go back to what? You're going to go back to a, to a shadow? You're going to go back to something that God has declared outdated? You're going to go back to something that doesn't bring you life? Jesus is greater than the angels, he says. Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is greater than Moses. He's going to make it clear. Jesus is greater than the law. Jesus is greater than the tabernacle. Jesus is greater because he is the one through whom all things were created. He's the one through whom we have life. And today, when we get to chapter 8, he wants to, he's really leading us to this point to say, God has given us a new covenant, a new one. The old is obsolete, outdated, and in essence, not valid. 
So, let's walk through chapter 8, and I'll give you some understanding, hopefully, of it. You can read it. Um, As we go along, I'm going to highlight some verses, and then I want to talk about really the glory of the new covenant. Uh, Rather than arguing about the old one, I just want to declare the glory of the new one and how we can know that we're a part of this new covenant. Because, before you start reading, look up here again. All of us, we love to live by the old covenant. And I'll, I'll tell you why, just right out front. Because in our hearts, we like religion. We like religion. I'm doing something, therefore God must be happy with me. Or I screwed up, therefore God must be mad at me. It makes sense, right? I'm doing good, God's happy with me, I screwed up, God's mad at me. So then if I screwed up, then I got to do something to make God not mad at me anymore. That's religion. I'm doing things to curry God's favor, to make him happy with me. Or I'm messing up and he's mad at me. Listen, this new covenant is so unbelievable that it's nothing that I did or do or will do in the future. It's all based on Jesus. That's the highlight. Now let's walk through it. Chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. He even says right at the outset, the point of what we are saying is this. He's saying, here's the point, people. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. He's been trying to make a point and hoping that they're getting it, but he's not sure that they do. Christ is our high priest. And all the benefits that he's been talking about, and I've been preaching on over the past several weeks, the fact that he's like us, the truth that we have access to the throne room of heaven, that we can draw near to God, the reality of our forgiveness, our salvation, all of this is through the grace of God, and he's now bringing to a point, priests serve, Priests serve in a temple or a sanctuary. Jesus, our priest, serves in the real sanctuary, which is where? In heaven. He's at the right hand of God the Father. He's going to make clear this weekend next that the tabernacle that Moses built was a shadow of the real one that's in heaven, where Christ serves. goes on and says in verses 3 through 6, Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. This one whom? Jesus. Yeah, if you, if you ever question what the answer is, just say Jesus. You've got it right 90% of the time. If, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. Over in the youth room, we have a foosball table. Uh, The kids play foosball. Uh, You drop this little round hardball 
in kind of a hole. It hits the table. Then you got two or four players spinning these poles or rods with little men on them, and they're kicking the ball, trying to, trying to kick it in the opponent's goal. It's really fun as far as it goes. If you've got good eye-hand coordination or you're skilled through playing it a lot, you can get pretty good at this game. It's based on the game of soccer. Now, if you ever saw a soccer game, you would never confuse foosball with soccer. For one, you you actually see a lot of scoring in foosball um, versus soccer, which you may not, which I know is kind of part of the problem in the American mindset. It just don't score enough. You know, 59 to nothing is a better game for me than, yeah, I know some of you are relating. My sister teaches at Texas A&M, so I had to call her this morning to say, hey. Anyway, moving on. Foosball is only a shadow. It's only a shadow of the real. And yet, there are people who would much rather spend their time in the shadows than the reality. Jesus is the real. Everything else is a shadow. Now, if you want to know more about the shadow of the tabernacle, we're going to talk about it directly next week. It's in chapter 9. But he's setting up this truth. The truth is this. The old covenant was based on the law and the priests and the tabernacle. The new covenant is based on the reality, the person of Jesus Christ. This is where he makes a transition that's very, 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 very important for us. Verse 7, he says, For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. Now, wait a minute. Is he saying there's something wrong with the old covenant? Yes, he is. He's saying there's something, there is a problem with it. Now, here's the problem. Covenants were based on an agreement between two parties. Um, I think I used Emory last week. I can't remember. But let's say Emory and I have made a covenant together to do something. Um, uh, I'm going to work for Emory. Emory's going to pay me. And I promise that I'm going to work as hard as I can and do. This is more than a contract, people. This is very, very important. So we line up things, and we basically sacrifice an animal, and we walk between the pieces of the animal, and we say, may it be done to me as this animal if I don't fulfill my part of the agreement. God makes a covenant with his people at Mount Sinai. The law is given to Moses. And in Exodus, it says... Now, this is God speaking. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Here's the covenant. God says, if you obey my commandments, how much? Fully. Fully, then I'll bless you. I'll make you a treasured nation. You'll be my possession. Out of all the nations on the earth, you'll be blessed. By the way, all through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, there are several places where God says, if you do this, you'll be blessed. But if you don't, then what will happen? 
You'll be cursed. What was the weakness of the new covenant? It was based on their ability to either keep it or not keep it, to be obedient or not obedient. Therefore, it had a flaw in it, the flaw of people. The problem is with the hearts of the people. It didn't change their hearts. As a result, several passages in the Old Testament, but here's one, when Hosea marries Gomer, I know, it's a lovely name. Uh, When Hosea marries Gomer, according to the word of the Lord, he has several children. The third child is not his child. Uh, His wife is a prostitute who goes back to prostitution. He keeps buying her back. Things are happening. And by the end, it says in Hosea 1.9, a kind of a picture. Then the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami. That's the third child that Gomer has. Sign of God's judgment on the nation of Israel, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. God issues a writ of divorce, as it were, to the nation of Israel because they do not fulfill the law. They don't fulfill the commands. This would be horrible news, except God's promise of the coming of Christ is greater. Author of Hebrews goes on and says in chapter 8, verses 8 through 12, he's quoting Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, which Scott read to open the service this morning. He said, but God found fault with the people and said, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. God makes a new covenant with the house of Israel. By the way, the house of Israel, as I interpret it, are those who are children of Abraham. According to Galatians and Colossians, which I read to you last week, when Jesus Christ comes, who are now the children of Abraham and the recipients of the blessing of the Lord? I think the New Testament clearly teaches it's those who are followers of Jesus Christ. God's purpose and plan for Israel has always been, Israel has never been Israel by natural birth. Israel has always been Israel by means of faith just so happens that there were those who were naturally born Jewish and walked in faith. Now, we get grafted into that stream of faith through Jesus Christ, and we are all part of the house of Israel. We all have God's law written on our hearts. And this covenant that he gives us all is so much greater than the old covenant. It is as far superior as Jesus is to the tabernacle goes on and says in verse 13, by calling this 
covenant, new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Have you ever gone to the refrigerator, open it up, grab that carton of milk, look at the date, October 15th. Now, today is October 19th, so you know somebody somewhere says this milk is expired. But you're like, you know, I don't have any other milk. So you give it the smell test. If you're really bold, you give it that taste test to see is this bad or not before you pour it on your cereal or you drink that glass of milk. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. (laughs) God has said, the old covenant is obsolete. Now don't Don't hear me saying what I'm not saying. Is the law bad? No, Paul makes it clear the law was good. The problem with the law was we couldn't do it. All it did was stand before us as a mirror showing us our weakness, and it never lifted a finger to help us. But that doesn't mean it's bad. It means we were really bad. We need something more than the law. We needed a Savior. We needed someone who would come and establish a new covenant and, and, and save us from our sins and place within us a new heart. We need a new kind of priest, a high priest who goes before us, one who is like us, one who gave his life for us, one in whom we could trust. This is the, this is the great news of the gospel. If you try to please God through the old, you'll never make it. But God has made such a better way. He has established a new way that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, where is his law? It's on my heart. It's not out there as something I'm trying to get to. It's something in here where I'm saying, thank you, Lord. I want to live a life that pleases you. He came to give us a radical new relationship with God. Here's one point I would want to make. Last week I told you, the law makes nothing perfect. I believe Jesus came to put, listen to this carefully, I believe Jesus came to put an end to all religion. Religion is the effort of man to try and get God's approval. And Jesus put the death nail in that because he came to establish a new way. He came as our high priest, the one through whom we get to have a relationship with God. How do you know? that you're walking in a new covenant versus an old covenant kind of relationship. When I was a minister of music in Texas years ago, when I was in seminary, I was, uh, was a minister of music in Hubbard, Texas, First Baptist Church, Hubbard, Hubbard Jaggers. Um, it's, it's Jaguar, but in Hubbard, you didn't say Jaguar, you said Jagger. Uh, the Hubbard Jaggers, I don't know why. I never could get anybody to explain to me why a Jaguar 
became a Jagger, uh, but it did in Texas. So farming community, First Baptist Church of a county seat town. One day this older farmer came up to me, and he was holding this thermal mug. And uh, I said to him, oh, you got a new mug. He said, I love this mug. Great. Uh, I'm glad you you love it. I was a little puzzled why he was so in love with this mug. And he said, he said, Bart, look at this mug. I'm looking at the mug. It's a mug. Thermal mug. He said, it keeps hot things hot and cold things cold. I'm like, okay. And I said, all right. And he's like, but how do it know? How do it know? How do it know when to keep a hot thing hot and a cold thing cold? My brother and I have joked for years when we were confused about something. How do it know? (laughs) We love the how do it know question. How do we know? Let's look at some of these. I think he gives indicators. Here in this passage, quoting from Jeremiah, Jeremiah, here in the book of Hebrews, I just want to walk us through them. Here's the first question that will give us an indication. Are we living in the old covenant or the new? First, are we living in intimacy? Are we living in intimacy? I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. We live in a relationship with God in which he has placed his presence within us and given us a new heart. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.3, 3, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. It is God at work in us, and it is the, it's a work of love and intimacy. Philippians 2.13 it says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Again, in religion, I would contend that there basically is no intimacy with God. It's a day-to-day, trying-to-please-God kind of deal. Some days you win, some days you lose. But there's no personal interaction because we're always worried about this God whom we're trying to get his, trying to get his favor. Some days he's happy with me, some days he's mad with me. The beauty of the new covenant is that in Jesus, he loves us every moment of every day. And it's not based on us, it's based on who we are as his children when we come into this new covenant relationship with God. Therefore, I'm not trying to, like I said, get God's approval. I'm not trying to get into his presence. I'm there. Not because I have to, but because I want to, do I live for him. Again, think of the marriage relationship. I... Do things for my wife, not because I have to most of the time, but because I but because I want to. I love her. 
And I, 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 want to, I want to see her happy. I want to see her content. I want to see the destiny that God has for her fulfilled. Same thing with my children. I love my children. And I want to see them become all that God has created for them to become. And so I do things for them, not because I have to. I mean, I could. And there are probably times when in my flesh I think I have to go do this. But really because I want to, ultimately, and because I love them. How much more is a God who is perfect, holy, righteous, loving us, wanting for us to become not demanding, not crushing, but living. We need to live in his glory. Roy Hessian, who wrote a great book called From Shadow to Substance, it's a book on the study, it's a study on the book of Hebrews, it's an older book. He has this quote, he says, grace puts into us what God wants out of us. Grace puts into us what God wants out of us. In this relationship, God is working his purpose through us from the inside out. We're not working on the outside in in order to get his favor. He's already demonstrated his love for us. How much did he love us? He loved us so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now that we're his children, how much more? Is he continuing to love us and guide us and direct us? This is the major distinction between the old and the new. Old, law on the outside, having to do it. If we didn't, we're apart from God. New, Jesus, his law is in our hearts. He dwells within us. We're in an intimate relationship with him. The Israelites never considered walking an intimate relationship with God. So unique that when a guy after God's own heart like David stood out, he's recognized as such. Here's my first question. Are you walking in intimacy with him? Do you know the love of God in your heart? Are you spending time in a relationship with him? Not out of law, but just because you love to be with him. Not because we have to, but because we love him. All right, so intimacy. Are we living in intimacy? Second question, are we living in community? Are we living in community? I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. We are the people of God. He doesn't say, you'll be one of many individuals with whom I have a personal relationship. Tons of people out there, and they're all individuals, and I have a personal relationship. Rather, if you read the New Testament from start to finish and and combine it with the old, the shadow of the old, then what you get is that God is not looking just for a person after his name. He's looking for a, a people. We are the people of God. The new covenant creates covenantal people. Hello? For in a covenant creates us in this new covenant together. Here's the problem. I know the problem. I've been in church my whole life. 
I mean, really, I, I think I was in the nursery before I was a month old. Since then, I've basically been in church my whole life. The church, in and of itself, if you look around, it is a flawed organization. I mean, just look on your right and left. Look at the flawed people around you. I mean, they're all around you. As a result, we have issues at times because we're flawed. But at the same time, we're not basing our love for one another, our commitment to one another based on us, but based on us. That we are the people of God. I'm going to be committed to you. You're going to be committed to me not because we're always doing what's right or even because we are acting like we ought to, but instead because we are the people of God. Here's the challenge. We live in an individualistic society which says, people, you know it. Everything about the American society, the the way we are organized has to do with our individual inalienable rights. It's crept into us so that when we start to answer questions about church, it usually has to do with, is this meeting my needs? Am I happy? Is this going to make me better? At some point, I pray that I and we catch this different vision that this is about us. It's not about me. Okay, let's say my needs aren't being met here. Is that even the right question? I would contend no. It's about God, are you using and working through me to build up the community of faith? What gifts have you instilled in me? Why were they given? Not so that I would be happy. Not so that I would feel satisfied. The gifts of God, gifts of the Holy Spirit, were given for the building up of the body of Christ. Are we using those gifts? This new covenant that we walk in is not about me and my relationship with God. It's about only. It's about us and our relationship with God. I mean, think about the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, you had the temple or tabernacle, right? We'll talk about it a little bit more next week, as I said. So you got the Holy of Holies. Who could go in the Holy of Holies? Everybody? Nope. Just the high priest. Then you had the inner court. Who could go in the inner court of the tabernacle? Everybody? Nope, just the men. Then you had kind of a women's court. Who went in there? That's not a hard question, nor is it a trick question. The women could go in there. Then you had the outer court. Who could go in the outer court? Well, the Gentiles could go in the outer court. And then you had the issues that if you're sick or diseased or had a problem, you couldn't go into any of it. It wasn't about all of us. It was about, in other words, there was this inequality within the system based on gender, based on health, based on birth. 
Here's what the author of Hebrews says. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest. The gospel brings us all from the least to the greatest together to say we can all go and we can all go we can all go together religion if you look at religion at its core it divides it compares it competes i mean just look around the world right i mean there are sects of certain religions that are warring with each other right now The gospel of grace in Jesus leads us to unity and to a true understanding of community. Religion says, what am I getting out of church? Grace says, what am I giving to my brothers and sisters in this place? Individualism asks, how am I doing? Community asks, how are we doing? Are we living in community? Third point, are we living in freedom? Are we living in freedom? For I, man, this is a great, this is a great scripture. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. The freedom that comes from this new covenant is astounding. As a result of the sacrifice of Jesus, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ as the one who forgives our sins, what happens to your sins? God's promise is that he remembers them no more. Now, wait a minute. How can a God who knows everything at every moment, past, present, and future, remember my sins no more? Because he chooses to. He chooses to. Which, look up here for a second. Which sins has God forgiven? All. All my past. All my present. And here's the part that we have trouble grasping, all future. Now you're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if, what if tomorrow I go out and sin? Now, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. What if I go out tomorrow and sin and forget about it and don't repent of that sin? In other words, I, I, don't, I don't confess it. I don't repent of it. What if I for, even forget about it? What about that sin? Am I forgiven of that sin? All. If I'm in Christ, all of my sins have been forgiven. Because listen to this. If I have to repent of my sin and confess it to be forgiven of it, which covenant am I living under? I would continue, you've go back, you're going back to the old covenant. Now, and now you're saying, wait a minute, Pastor, whoa, wait a minute. Are you telling me I can go out tomorrow and live like heck? I can do whatever I want, sleep with whoever I want, drink whatever I want, make myself happy, and God's going to have to forgive me? Again, Paul says, heck No. There might be an indicator that here, if that's your attitude, that you're not answering questions one and two right. Intimacy and community. 
What he is saying is this gospel is so good. It's so great that God has forgiven you. And I get to walk in forgiveness. Now, I, I know us. This is one of the great things about being a pastor of a smaller church, medium-sized church, wherever you think fullness is, is I know most of us. I know me. And I know most of us still struggle with condemnation from sin. Some more than others. Some of us can't get over our past. Some of us can't. It just keeps coming back. We can't really, we haven't, don't seem to be really be able to understand and grasp how great this gospel is. That when I come to Christ, he has forgiven me. He remembers it no more. Now, if God remembers it no more and you're still thinking about it all the time, where do you think that's coming from? Logically, I would say, not God. Not him. We are completely forgiven. Means totally, not partially. You are completely forgiven. And you are forgiven past, present, future. Your salvation is eternal. Now listen, I know, I know I'm hitting, I'm hitting the nail on one side of the road really hard right now. Because if this is all you hear, then you'll, you'll, you'll hear, well, that means I don't ever have to obey or ever have to do. That's not, the, that's not the bell I'm sounding right now. I want us to understand and to really walk in the glory of this new covenant. That we have a relationship with God. We can walk in intimacy with him. We, we can walk in community with one another. And our sins are totally and completely forgiven. Now, doesn't this make you want to just go out and sin like heck? Doesn't the glory of that gospel just make you want to sin? No, it doesn't. It makes you want to live for him. Or it should. Listen to Paul in the, in the book of Romans again. A passage you know well. But listen to it in light of this new covenant relationship Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by sinful nature, God did by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Freedom is not elusive. Freedom is provided for us in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> My contention would be this. If we really ever get a hold of the new covenant, I mean, we talk about it. This is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink. We do it. We say that all the time. But do we really walk in the new covenant? Or 
does because of the weakness of our sinful nature and the condemnation of the enemy and because he knows that the law is powerless to perfect, he keeps dragging us back into the old. And we keep helping by going back there. The glory of the new covenant is that we have an intimate relationship with our creator. That we have a glorious community of faith that we get to be a part of. Don't let it be isolated and divided and individualistic. And we get forgiveness and freedom now and forever. Hallelujah to the God of the redeemed. Stand up with me if you would. Lord, I pray right now that we would be understanding that we are recipients of this gospel of grace. The good news has come to us. And this good news is really even better than we thought it was. Good doesn't begin to describe how glorious the gospel is. Lord, I thank you that today we can live in intimacy with you, God. That we, that we can walk in freedom. That we get to be together in this. Lord, may those truths prevail in our hearts. Thank you that your law is written in our hearts because you've placed your spirit within us. God, we thank you and we glory in you. In Jesus' name, amen.